Welcome to the sixth episode of The Gathering Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Varberg, and this podcast is all about experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised. We've been exploring this through a series called Conversations with Our Congregation, where you get to know members of our congregation and hear how God has been working in their lives. Today is a discussion that Jeff Doria and I had about how to experience healing. First, we talk about what is biblical healing? What healing is defined, it's it's an outward, inward experience of being made whole. The Greek word, actually, uh, in the scriptures, there's three main words. The first one being ieomai, uh, and that refers to cure, heal, to make whole. Then Jeff shares some of his personal experiences with healing. It's Thanksgiving week, and I remember, you know, as again, that short trip to the ER ended up in the ICU, and all of a sudden, she has this rare disease and a heart aneurysm, and we're devastated. Finally, Jeff leaves us with some tips and recommendations for those seeking healing. During that experience, you know, heal came to mind, and the H being hope in Jesus as our ultimate healer. Without further ado, let's dive in. I'm excited to dig into this with you, Jeff. I have been looking forward to this one. (laughs) I miss our conversations. I'm just excited to hang out with you. So today, talking about something like healing and how to experience healing, I think is so on the forefront of people's minds going through a worldwide pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think health, you know, I'd never thought of germs (laughs) the way that I do now because of our circumstances. How has God allowed you to experience healing or, or where have you seen this in your personal testimony? It's, it's interesting that you actually asked that question because literally I, I just wrapped up a year residency uh, at, the, at one of the hospitals here, local hospitals in San Diego uh, for chaplaincy. A lot of what I did as a chaplain, I did a lot of clinical work and also uh, met with some cohorts to do some inward work as ministers. Mm. So it was both on the practical side, learning how to be a, a minister providing a ministry of compassionate care, ministry of presence, and really addressing spiritual healing patients that we encountered. And so through that journey, part of the transformative experience was walking alongside other chaplains and doing the heart work ourselves, of the Mm. inner healing of our own lives and experiences that we've been through in ministry that really influence and impact the way in which we approach others, especially with the topic of healing. You know, I went to a private Christian school, so we had chapel service. So I thought like chaplain was that. I know there were like military chaplains, mm. but I didn't really know like what in the world is a chaplain, especially at a hospital. Can you educate us coming from a chaplain? <laughs> what is a chaplain? Think about a hospital setting. When you think of the hospital and clinicians, you automatically think of uh, physicians, uh, nurses, CNAs, um, your respiratory therapists, especially during the pandemic. What chaplains are is part of that clinical team mm. providing pastoral or spiritual care to patients. And it's uh, what's interesting about it is that we provide spiritual care in a very pluralistic environment, meaning people, you know, patients, patient populations rather represent a multitude of different faiths. Mm. And so that's the kind of uniqueness of chaplaincy working in a public setting like a hospital is that we make ourselves available as spiritual caregivers for patients that desire to seek spiritual care. Being in a hospital, dealing with this idea of death, dealing with so much uncertainty, there's such a need for that 
I don't think a lot of people realize. Right. Nurses are amazing what they do. Doctors are amazing what they do. They all have a specialty skill that they provide as far as the holistic care of mm. the patient. Uh, but you also have to imagine that they have a, a, a duty and responsibility to provide the best possible care that they can, and very much on the technical side of, yeah. of caring, administering medications for pharmacists uh, or providing the proper diagnosis for certain illness or disease. And, and so they have a specific task. For I think the benefit or the what I appreciate about chaplaincy is the ability to simply be present mm. with no agenda with a person because wow. they're processing so much of this emotional turmoil. Think of the pandemic right now, all the yeah. emotions and the fears that go along with that. And so a lot of times, as much as let's say a clinician wants to engage a patient, they have a job to do. And then there's another another team member that has to do their job. Yeah. So as chaplains, our specific role is literally to be present, Wow. to provide uh, empathetic listening and care so we can actually hear the heart of a patient and mm. what they're struggling with, whether it be physical, emotional, or some mental uh, uh, health issues. When we're speaking about healing, can you kind of define what is healing? And especially like looking at it biblically, there's a lot of ways to look at healing in modern times. We just talked about doctors and things right. like that. But I guess how would you define healing through the lens of what we'll look at today? You know, generally speaking, when you think of healing, you associate healing with health. Yeah. And health covers, again, the holistic person. Hmm. That is their physical emotional, mental, and for many of us that we understand to be spiritual health or spiritual well-being. And so when I think of what healing is defined, it's it's an outward, inward experience of being made whole, right? Wow. And the Greek word actually uh, in the scriptures, there's actually three main words uh, in regards to healing. And that's the first one being ieomai, uh, and that refers to cure, heal, to make whole. And it's listed about 28 times in the New Testament. Second one being therapeio, forgive my uh, pronunciation <laughs> with the Greek lexicon, but uh, therapeio is uh, to heal, to cure, to restore to health. So notice the common theme of health, cure, restoring. And then the last one is probably the most predominant one. So therapeio is actually 43 times in the New Testament, the last one being sozo. Sozo is to save, to deliver, keep safe and sound, and that word again, to make whole. And that's wow. actually listed 110 times in the New Testament. Wow. I see that theme of just wholeness, mm -hmm. curing, healing. So I guess if we're experiencing this healing, what do we often see people getting healed from? Or what are the types of healing that they're experiencing? And so just like I mentioned earlier, when you think of health, you know, your physical health. So people come in with uh, physical ailments, injuries, and sicknesses, diseases that they're to seek physical healing for. Mm. There's emotional and mental healing, right? Where I consider that the healing of the heart. Yeah. Because technically, when you think of your emotions, there's sadness, happiness, joy, frustrations. There's all these kind of things that we feel because we have the ability to think and feel. Yeah, we're and emotive so, creatures. Exactly. And so emotive, emotional deals with how we feel. Yeah. Our thought life deals with our mental health, right? Mm. So they kind of partner together, emotional, mental healing and that really deals with the matter of the heart. Yeah. Because uh, just think about it for a moment. Like for, say, for example, a child growing up uh, and they have a father that leaves early on in their childhood. What typically will happen is they'll have a sense of fear of abandonment. Yeah. And that kind of carries on throughout life. Mm. And what do you think that impacts? Their emotional health. Their understanding of these fatherly 
authoritative figures maybe in their life that were absent. And when we don't address those kind of issues in our life, we tend to carry that on, that lens rather, of that fear of abandonment for other people that come into our life that maybe fit that, that profile. Remember, hurt people hurt people. When those wounds go deep and we never address them, we tend to, this is this counseling word that people use, transference, right? Or projection. We project that or we put that upon others. And later on in life, you find someone else that kind of fits the profile and you start to project those feelings of abandonment, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy or uh, lens towards that person. And when we don't address those wounds, they kind of carry out throughout our life, mm-hmm. which is why it's so huge because the heart of a matter is so important. The last one is actually uh, the divine or spiritual healing. So when you think of spiritual healing, I always look at the lens of the gospel, or the gospel truth of who Christ is and the cross. That he literally on the cross, he took our sickness, our ailments, our infirmities, our sin, and he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So there is healing that we experience through the cross of Christ. And that's ultimately what divine and spiritual healing alludes to is acknowledging Jesus as the ultimate healer. And then in James 5, 14, verse 16, the passage says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make, them, make the sixth person well. The Lord will raise them uh, up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we're instructed in Scripture to pray for healing, right, for others. And whether that be, again, a, a physical ailment, yeah. uh, emotional you know, well-being, whether a heart issue or heart condition. Yeah. And then obviously the, the spiritual part of one's, uh, let's say, sin in their life. Yeah. That they need to repent and ask for forgiveness for. Wow. I love how you, in the emotional side, I feel like it's really common to talk about things like anxiety and depression. I know last week was all about anxiety in our podcast, but like you said, unforgiveness, bitterness, those issues of the heart we need healing from. And we can't experience the abundant life that Jesus promised if we're holding on to unforgiveness, bitterness, and then the sin. Yeah. That's where it really comes down to right. on the spiritual aspect. And I guess, where do we see the examples in the Bible? So in the Old Testament, you have uh, in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 30, verse 17, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. There's a lot in the Psalms, you know, people refer mm. to the, the healing Psalms, right? So Psalm 30, verse 2, Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I like that one. Oh, gosh, that goes so deep, especially <laughs> when you're going through just an emotional turmoil mm. where you're just in your head, in your heart, and you just feel broken, and you feel like at your lowest point, God is near the brokenhearted. That's a promise that we can believe. Psalm 103, 2 to verse 6, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That alone, like that, that just captures not only physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health, right? Wow. Spiritual healing. Yeah. And then uh, Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted again and binds up our wounds. Right? So Christ's ability to do that uh, for us if we allow him to. I love these scriptures. We'll definitely put these in the show notes for people to 
you know, just print out, reflect on them, have them, put them on a post-it on your mirror. I know for me, when I was going through a very difficult time, that Psalm 34, 18, you know, God close to the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. I just felt crushed in spirit. And it was like meditating on that just helped remind me like, God's here. (laughs) I'm not alone in this. And that was such a a, a good reminder for me. I would 100% agree with that, Peter, because honestly, when when you think about it, uh, a lot of times we get so succumbed to how we feel and our emotions that we get stuck in them and we get overwhelmed by them. And when we hold on, you use the word meditate. When you meditate on scripture, when you meditate on truth, it's a very truth that actually sustains you despite how you feel. Because imagine if we just left ourselves in the prison of our own feelings and emotions. We'd be a mess. Yeah. I've been there. So that's a lot of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. What can we see in the New Testament? Jesus is our healer, right? You look at Matthew and the Gospels, uh, Matthew 4, 23 to 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So you see all throughout the Gospels, Jesus healing um, Luke chapter 13, 11 through 13, there's a crippled woman who's, for 18 years, she's been crippled, bent over, I imagine like a 90 degree angle, and all of a sudden be able to stand upright and walk wow. normally. John 5, this one is a, one of my favorite ones. John 5, 1 through 15 is the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. And scripture talks about how this man was literally a paralytic for about 38 years. Ooh. And so modern day paralytics would be someone in a wheelchair, for example. Yeah. But the difference is in uh, first century Palestine or early church, during this period of time, historically, I mean, when people had physical ailments, just like lepers, they were social outcasts. Mm. So they didn't have a lot of access to certain things. And so you literally had these people with infirmities uh, or disabled, and they congregated in a certain area. And there was this pool of Bethesda where people would go to hopefully experience some type of healing. People that have these infirmities and, and, and sicknesses, diseases, ailments, that desire to be healed, but imagine for 38 years mm. what that does to a person mentally, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally. You know, I remember hearing a pastor once, uh, a good friend of mine actually, speaking on this passage, and he associated the healing this paralytic with his mat where the mat represented his identity mm. and how difficult sometimes we, when we have a certain personal issue or struggle or unhealthy perspective of our identity, that's representative of the mat that we hold on to. And so this person, 38 years on a mat, and that was his identity as a paralytic. So how many of us actually hold on to this identity of areas in our life that need healing? And so are we holding on to our mat? Or we listen to, just like Jesus told the paralytic, to get up and walk? That's powerful. Like to actually see these things as things we can get healing from. Mm -hmm. And that we can ask for healing from. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's the significance of the way that Jesus approached his healing that we can sort of draw from? Because I think looking to Jesus as the example right. did it. I think when you look at the scriptures, you see Jesus always being moved with compassion mm. out of a great love that he had for people, right? And so in his ministry, 
He always addressed the obvious physical need, but I believe it was to address the greater spiritual needs is what you see. And both are important needs, right? Physical and spiritual. Just imagine someone in your family that has cancer. Of course, the desire for that person is for them to receive the treatment, pray for their healing, and they go into remission and they're cured of it. But more than that is Jesus always used the physical to address the spiritual. Hmm. And Jesus actually even says in Matthew 9, uh, 5, what's more easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? (laughs) Yeah. Right? (laughs) So he's actually addressing those two things where, you know, you have sickness and you have sin. Definitely. Um, And I guess we, Jesus isn't the only person that we see heal. Mm -hmm. There's healing that happens throughout the Bible, but I think most often we look at the disciples and those early apostles and how they were then empowered by the Holy Spirit to to do healing. Can you speak into some of what we see in, in Acts and in the New Testament on that? Yeah, so even in Acts, you mentioned Acts earlier, Acts chapter 5, verse 16, the people are also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So imagine healings are occurring and people all around are hearing this, you know, of all these healings that are occurring and they're gathering a bunch of people so they can be healed. And under what or rather, what power and authority were they given? It's from Jesus. Luke 9, 1 through 2, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice how he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and to heal the sick. It wasn't simply just to heal the sick. Yeah. It was to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Mm-hmm. And that's important to remember. So I guess for us today... What does this healing look like? Is this spiritual gift that we can have and, and use the same way the apostles did? It's a great question. Honestly, when you think of, let's talk about spiritual gifts. I think it's important to know, well, what, one, what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, he says, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kind of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so you notice, you know, it's important to know again what the purpose of spiritual gifts are. And so verse 7 actually says, each of us as believers, as Christians, Christ followers, have a spiritual gift. And the gifts are given for the common good of others. Verse 11 refers to spiritual gifts as God's will to the church, as God de- determines and distributes to each of us. And so it's not like a Amazon spiritual gift yeah. card where we can <laughs> you know, ask for whatever we want and we expect that to be you know, delivered. God gives as he desires and yeah. as how he sees fit according to his sovereignty and grace in our life. I think we have such a self-focus right. as humans but in our culture, that it's like, God, give me that gift. Mm. I, I want that. Right. You know, give that to me. And I think it's important to recognize, yeah, he, he distributes them as <laughs> right. he determines. Yeah. yeah, And it's cool speaking into this. I know with Pastor Bill, we talked about this verse specifically. And I'd never seen that before. How like how much the repetition of the same spirit, the same mm. spirit all throughout that whole scripture. And that's really right. who's distributing the gifts. I like how the NLT translates. It says, it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Mm. So, that, I mean, it's as clear as they what scripture says about these gifts. 
Uh, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as Christians, I mean, the, the use of our spiritual gifts are a form of exercising faithful stewardship of God's grace for the purpose of two things. And this is something I always try to nail home when, when I teach on this passage, is the spiritual gifts are for two things. And it's one, the mutual edification of the body of Christ, and two, is to glorify God. Mm. If they're not doing any of those, then you have to question whether or not they're spiritual gifts. Or if it's bringing glory to me <laughs> right. and not to God, right. there's, there's reason to question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Romans 12, uh, 6 through 8 says, In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If you're a gift to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's to give, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So verse 6 really hits home again. Spiritual gifts are a grace given to us as Christians to use them. It's for the edification of the, the body right. and the church. And just going back to our question regarding you know, the spiritual healing, gift of yeah. healing, right? In 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, healing as a spiritual gift. Verse 9 through 10, it refers to gifts of healing and working of miracles are given based upon God's grace to the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, it's based upon God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. So he determines who he desires to heal. Yeah, because I think that's a challenge for some people, like the balance between seeking God for healing, going to medical professionals for healing. Right, and so... Even when you think about like healthcare workers, for example, Christians as healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, respiratory therapists, on a practical level, they're providing medical treatments and patient-centered care. And spiritually, they can offer prayers of healing, acknowledging that ultimately the healing comes from Jesus as our healer. Yeah, I think that's interesting if someone's like, I've never prayed for healing and watched someone miraculously get healed, but I can have faith that if God wanted to do that through me, it could happen. Amen. And I should be able to come to God um, and pray for that, not whether I have the gift or not. So I guess, what does that look like? I mean, speaking of whether you have the gift or not, there are some people that would say, oh, this person is a healer. You know, like we might say they're a prophet or, you know, that these other gifts, you know, there's ministries about healing, things like that, where people might seek out a specific person or a specific Mm. ministry for healing. Um, There seems to be a bit of that out there. And you know, I've seen stuff on the old televangelism where <laughs> people would fall over and then all of a sudden people are healed. Right, right. And it's hard to kind of process, you know, sure. is that real? Like what's really going on there? What would you say about some of those? You know, honestly, great. Praise God. Uh, who wouldn't desire to experience physical, emotional, and spiritual healing in their own lives and the lives of those they love and care for? I mean, you know, obviously you hear a lot of popularity among these healing ministries, right? But my my only word of caution would be to ask yourself this. Do these ministries or healing ministers glorify God 
and edify the body of Christ, which is why I talked about the foundation purpose yeah. of spiritual gifts to begin with. And is the gospel being proclaimed? Mm. So are they glorifying God? Is it edifying the body of Christ? And is the gospel being proclaimed? Or do they simply bring attention to oneself? Because if the focus is primarily on the exaltation of a person, not Christ, then I would prayerfully proceed with caution. Yeah. Because you know, there, there's obviously a lot of charlatans out there seeking personal gain and profit for themselves. It's what we call sheep in wolf's clothing, right? Yeah. So beware. Sometimes there's also the tendency to seek out healings and miracles versus the proclamation of the gospel and yeah. the redemptive and transformative truth that the cross, the, the cross of Christ ushers into one's life. So if the gospel's missing, right, and we're focused simply on healing, you know, these or supernatural miracles, then we lose sight of the truth and the power of the gospel mm. and Christ crucified. I guess like you said that that healing is just a vehicle and like that was a way to bring people to God. They were connected, but when we just pursue the the circumstantial issue, not the root of coming to know Christ, we're kind of missing the point. Now, I guess with all that, I've heard this a lot in in ministry and just in relationships where people are praying for healing, something significant in their life, someone in their family. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. A lot of times there can be anger or bitterness or frustration. Like, why did God not do this? Or why didn't he heal? Like, how do we expect, like, how do we kind of wrestle with God either healing or, or not healing? Mm, so what, what to expect when God heals and when he doesn't? Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. I think of 1 Peter four nineteen. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the idea of, of suffering well, mm. trusting that God knows best, right? And so a lot of times, you know, we pray in faith and fervently for someone to be healed of, some, of a disease, for example, and, and that could be a close family member. And unfortunately, they might pass, right? And, and so in the midst of all that, you know, we recognize that ultimately God remains good regardless of the circumstances of the outcome. But how do you actually learn? How do we do that? How do we suffer well? I think mm. suffering is something that we tend to be having aversion towards. Yes. And we also take that out of our faith, which yeah. is really Jesus was a suffering servant Messiah. And you see that all throughout the gospel, you know, the gospels, especially gospel of Mark, kind of the main theme, the suffering servant Messiah. And so when we try to avoid suffering, we can't truly in experience the beauty of, of what Jesus offers us with his presence, with knowing we have eternity in Christ, uh, with knowing that he's the God of all comfort and all compassion, right? And so I think that's important to know is also what does it look like to suffer well? That's um, a big one. I think we're all averse from suffering. <laughs> I mean, I don't like suffering at all. And there's so many times where I'm like, God, just heal me from this. Like, take this away. But I've, I've recognized some of my greatest deeper healing has happened through that. Mm. What are some like personal examples that you might have around this idea of healing? You know, with when I, when I actually was reflecting upon that, I, I thought of a, a story that uh, my wife, Sarah had uh, shared with um with me, and also there's an article written about it. Uh, it's called the, "The Day Priya Walked Her Cow," and it was about a uh, 
some of you guys know, you know, that, that my wife was a missionary in India for yeah. two years, and um, she planted a lot of house churches uh, with the ministry. And uh, one day she was just walking uh, towards uh, the house church that they had planted, and there was a lady walking her cow right next to the church. Uh, they had a conversa- brief conversation with her, and the lady complained about her leg. She pulled up her leg and showed them that she uh, what appeared to be like elephant ty- typhus, I want to say Elephantitis. Titus or typhus. Yeah. Or, and just an extreme, excessive inflammation on her leg. It was like completely swollen. Wow. And so out of compassion, my wife prayed for her. Right, and after she prayed for her, she kind of just went on her way. <laughs> uh, and then after they had church and had a, a time of prayer, uh, they went out. They left the house, and that lady came walking back, rejoicing, with a smile on her face. That and she shared with with Sarah and the girls that she were, she was with that she'd been healed. Wow! Uh, and she showed how the swelling went down, and and so with that came the opportunity, just like we referred to when when Jesus saw the obvious need, prayed. For these miracles, for these healings to occur, uh, it pre- presented an opportunity to address now the greater spiritual need, and so in doing so, she was able to share the gospel, and that person received Christ. Wow, which was amazing, right? And that's a, that's a one story that I remember. My wife, she's awesome. I love her. So there's an actual article yeah. we could link that uh, in I the show you notes. Can put that link there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So people can look at right. that. That'd be cool. Yeah, and then there's a person, you know, more of a personal, recent story uh, for me and my family is. Um, one of our daughters, actually one of our twins, Antoinette, you know, some of you guys know they were miracle babies. They're Momo twins. So they're considered 1% of all twin pregnancies, had a 50% chance of survival. Uh, miraculously, they were born. Praise God. Uh, wow. But but I want to say five, six months later, during Thanksgiving last year in 2019, uh, she had been having a fever for several days. We were a bit concerned. Eventually, we took her to the ER once they said she had some type of common virus, took her back home. She still was, wasn't doing well, got worse. We took her back to the ER again. And this time the doctor seemed concerned. And so come to find out, uh, they were concerned she had something called Kawasaki. Mm. So literally within hours, we ended up from the ER to the ICU because they had diagnosed that she had Kawasaki and, um, through some, um, echocardiograms, they realized that she had a heart aneurysm. Wow. So all that in the course of hours, overnight, next day, we're, we're kind of, it's Thanksgiving week. Um, we find out our daughter has this disease and we're devastated. <laughs> and so I remember we we're just praying fervently to the Lord, like, God, like, like this is our, like, we would bear. Now I know like what I said earlier about cross, the cross of Christ, right? And Jesus enduring the cross for the joy that was set before him. When he endured our sin, he endured infirmities and sickness. We can pray knowing that Jesus is a great high priest who can relate to our suffering. And that's what it means. Like Jesus knows suffering. And mm. so drawing from the fact that Lord, like Lord help our daughter. I, if we could, we would bear this yeah. for her. I would want the heart aneurysm. I would want to be in the ICU stuck to all these uh, uh, tubes. Yeah, and uh, and pick lines. Uh, imagine if you guys ever seen a pick line. It's huge for a little six month baby. Wow. I mean, we were, we were, we were done. <laughs> we were like exhausted, tired, praying fervently, and asking for people for prayer. And fortunately, by the grace of God, through prayer, um, through the treatment she received at the hospital, some of the best care possible, 
she the heart aneurysm actually resolved and went back to normal. Um, it was a one episodic incident, and she was normal again. And that was an experience for us to, experience, to really experience Jesus as our healer. When it came down to the a very life that we would give our life for. Mm. And I'll always remember that. Because not only are there our twins are our miracle babies, but you know, six months after we had to deal with this and it was like, gosh, like when does it end? Sometimes you feel that way. Yeah. It's like a a, a snow snowball effect of challenges and and issues and, and circumstances that come and you're like, What do we do with that? Like, God, like you have your lamenting. We have several lamenting. Yeah, I actually haven't heard that story in its totality, Jeff. And I remember he mentioned them being miracle babies. And I was there at the, I guess, was it like a gender reveal originally? Mm, Was it going to be? It was so, just to share a bit of Jeff's heart is he'd found out that they were those types of twins and they had a very short or like low chance of survival. And he still put together this gender reveal. (laughs) And then when they revealed that they were going to be twins, you know, everyone's like, excited and yelling and then jeff used this opportunity to kind of speak what god was doing in his heart and how although they wanted to not do that and bring attention to that because there was a 50 percent chance Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't survive you kind of did that in faith and sought prayer from us as your community um, in that and it's just beautiful i remember when it all happened and they were born. And I was just like, wow, like for me, that was a healing. They could have not been born. That brought glory to God and that encouraged me, um, brought me closer to Christ. And then six months later, there's this whole other ordeal. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing, Jeff. That's that's powerful. That kind of brings up this question of, you know, kind of the balance between medical treatment and miracles. Is it God or the doctors, like, or the intervention? Like, what what's causing this healing? I know sometimes we want to figure out. Well, what was it? <laughs> right. No. Uh, you know, I always attribute it to it's it's God's common grace offered to humanity. When you think of uh, medical treatments, uh, interventions, doctors, medical teams, and prayer. I mean, it, it's through His nature and character of compassion, right? that he allows medical means to provide healing for us today. So it's both, right? It's both a fervent prayer, prayer of a community of, of those around you that love and care for you and uh, believing in Jesus as a healer. And then acknowledging that, you know, Jesus actually, he gave the ability for humans to intelligently create and innovate through advanced medical studies. Yeah. That is, that leads to healing and cures offered to us all. It's part of common grace. Um, so when you think of Eastern and Western forms of medicine, it's a part of God's common grace for humanity. Um, because again, God is a compassionate God and it's part of his nature and character. That's such a beautiful perspective. Never really looked at it that way. Mm-hmm. That yeah, God has allowed that to happen and given us yeah. the medicine and the the health structure and systems that we have nowadays. Yeah, huge shout out to all the medical healthcare workers out there. I mean yeah, they're doing. They're, they're health heroes. They're they're going out there day to day, day in and day out. And I think um, this pandemic helped us appreciate more and more uh, what they do mm. for our society. And going back to, I'm sure your experience as a chaplain, you've probably witnessed some healing within that hospital setting. Gosh, I'm, there's actually one story that comes to mind. It's uh, 
it was a person who uh, coded twice. And what coded means is um, this person had to be resuscitated twice. Not once, wow. but twice. Twice. It was a young adult, and uh, reading his chart notes, it was not looking good for him. Uh, he'd experienced respiratory failure, uh, some cardiac issues or heart issues. And I remember uh, I walked his mother to the ICU to visit him for the first time because she hasn't seen him since then. Um, and we prayed before she went in to see him as we, as we were told he was unconscious. So the doctor came by and said, you know, I'm not sure what you guys did. And this is after we prayed. Uh, and he didn't see this. But he's like, I'm not sure what you guys did, but he's awake. And he seems to be doing fine. And the mother was in tears of joy. Wow. I mean, that was a special moment for me to experience in the moment with, you know, this young patient's mother as she's hearing for the first time that her, her, her son had coded twice, near-death experiences, been brought back to life, was unconscious, and all of a sudden she comes to visit from the very first time, we pray, and now he's awake. And it was just like that. It was all, it all happened at, at that time. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that was a, a, a beautiful, unique, God-glorifying experience uh, for me as a chaplain. And, um, you know, my last, well, my first six months I spent in uh, the mental health ward that dealt with uh, the psych ward and also uh, substance abuse. And my second six months dealt with uh, the palliative care unit, which is, you know, palliative, you know, there's hospice care and palliative people typically in palliative care are getting um, pain relief uh, for terminal illnesses, mm. right? And then hospice care is like kind of the final stage when you when you already know you're kind of coming to that place. And so palliative care is like hospice, but you're like actually in the hospital receiving mm. uh, pain treatment and medication. And so in palliative care, one thing that I notice is that patients with a strong foundation in their faith, they seem to be more at peace uh, when their life comes to an end. So these are all people that it's like terminal, yeah. like it's the end. Right. They now have we're stage at the hospital four, terminal cancer. I mean, they're just like dealing with mm-hmm. that so that it will end soon. Right. Okay. So they're, they're literally on their It's like helping with the pain, right. like just kind of making it last as long as possible, mm-hmm. but there's really no hope. Right. And, and so, and then a lot of times eventually they'll transfer to a hospice care, whether it's in their home or some special facility, hospice mm. facility. Uh, but I noticed that when, when patients had a strong foundation in their faith, they again were a lot more at peace. You know, many mm. times um, for me, you know, I remember it was, it was not so much about what I said, but about, about me being a ministry of presence. Mm. It was about me not only uh, praying for comfort, but putting myself in a position where God can use me as a source of comfort for others as they're experiencing what they call anticipatory grief. Because they're coming to terms with the fact that, you know, they're going to die. And I think this is kind of, it was a learning experience for me to realize in palliative that, you know, what it meant to have a relationship with death. There were all of us, you know, I think of Braveheart, right? He talks about like, yeah. every person dies, but not every person lives, right? Mm. And so people in palliative or in hospice, they're oftentimes thinking about their lives and reflecting upon, you know, it, it, you know we're all, they're just more closer to that stretch, yeah. And the scripture talks about, you know, life is a vapor. There's a brevity of life. We live, you know, we come from at, from the dirt and we'll return to dirt. <laughs> right. And so we're mortal beings, but we have an eternal God. Mm. And so 
And, and also to remember that our citizenship is in heaven. So it should inform how we view death. Yeah. Right? Because we're eternal beings. Because we have eternal life in Christ. So I guess if we're looking at this idea of healing, obviously there's the health aspect we just talked about with seeking the relationships. But for those that are actually interested, like I want to actually go out and be an instrument of healing in this world. Any sort of practical tips or strategies in which to do that? I mean, I feel like, hey, be healed. <laughs> Is that all I do? Or, or what would you tell someone in that scenario, Jeff? Yeah, it's a great question. I actually came up with an acrostic heal based on my experience uh, or recent experience, my wife and I with our daughter, Antoinette. And I remember, you know, as again, that short trip to the ER ended up in the ICU and all of a sudden she has this rare disease and a heart aneurysm. And so during that experience, you know, heal came to mind and the H being hope in Jesus as our ultimate healer. Hmm. Like we wholeheartedly believe in Jesus as Antoinette's ultimate healer. Yes, we had a great team of, of of nurses and doctors at her at her bedside. But ultimately, we acknowledge that Jesus was the ultimate healer. Mm. And then the E was an expectation for God to fulfill his ultimate purpose in her life. Because even when she was in the womb with her other twin sister, Adeline, we knew that regardless of the outcome, God remains good, but that, you know, their lives are always in his hands. Mm. And so... There was an expectation again for God to fulfill his purpose in her life. And then the A is acknowledging his sovereignty and goodness over her life as well. That, you know, when you're in the hospital, when, especially in the ICU, it's like one of the scariest things when it's your, especially when you're kids mm. or someone you love and care about. And you realize at that point that you're completely, you have no control, none whatsoever. And you realize, that God is the only one in control. Mm. Like it's a hard truth because yeah. you would do anything tooth and nail like to to put yourself again in that position where yeah. she doesn't have to bear the pain or the uncertainty of things. As a father. As a father, you're like, gosh, like you want to do everything in your power to protect your kids. And when you can't do anything, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Frustrating. It, it is devastating. And you realize you have no control whatsoever. This brings you to your knees. And this is when you acknowledge that, you know what? God is in control of the outcome. Mm. And that goes to the L. is letting go of the outcome. Letting go and letting the God of all comfort comfort you. Surrendering the outcome to the Lord. And that's what we had to do with Antoinette. And praise God, you know, that she was healed. Wow. So hope in Jesus as our ultimate healer. I have an expectation for God to fulfill his ultimate purpose in your life. Acknowledge his sovereignty and goodness over your life and letting go of the outcome, letting the God of all mm -hmm. comfort comfort you um, and surrender that outcome. That's powerful because I know last week when we talked with Ali Khan, she shared how a lot of anxiety comes from this lack of control. And really, it's 
understanding a way to heal from that is recognizing who is in control. Mm -hmm. Any last thoughts for us, Jeff? I would just say, ask yourself, what areas of my life do I need healing? Do you personally feel whole, uh, incomplete, and utter inner peace with yourself and those around you? And if not, you know, honestly, it may be an indicator that you need healing in your life. And that's okay. One thing I appreciate about what you said earlier, Peter, is that, you know, the benefit of actually seeking out a counselor mm. or getting therapy. I think most of us, are, we're just not honest sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's okay not to be okay. You know, whether, you know, you're a, a pastor or someone in ministry or, you know, a business consultant like you are, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are in the spectrum of what you do or what position you hold in society, we all need, right? someone to be able to talk to and connect with on a heart level. And I think a lot of times we're just not honest. Yeah. And so if there's an area of healing in your life, be honest about that. There's a TED talk that I was listening to and it was kind of on the topic of healing. I forget exactly what it was, but the question that came up was, is, is it possible for someone to be broken beyond repair? And one thing I would say is that in Christ, through Christ and because of Christ, no one, I repeat, no one is broken beyond repair. And that's the gospel truth. When we believe in faith, Jesus is our Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Healer, Sanctifier, and Coming King. Wow. Right? There's hope in Christ. Mm -hmm. No matter how bad it is, there's hope there in a hope. Healer. And that's in Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously with everything that we just talked about and everything going on in our world today, pray for healing over yourself or others in your life that have physical injuries, ailments, or sicknesses, diseases. Um, you have that acrostic. Hopefully that will help. Yeah. <laughs> pray for healing over broken hearts. You know, that those are your emotional well-being again. Um, pray for healing over wounds caused by others in your life or pain that you might, might have caused other people unintentionally or intentionally and then pray for healing over our nation because we need it yeah our nation and, and our world around us and as we experience god's healing uh, we can ultimately experience god's peace i love the word the hebrew word shalom mm. this idea of this inner and outer peace that all is well within our soul right inwardly outwardly our personal well-being and the world around us and so uh that's our that's my hope honestly is mm. that especially for now times like this is that we as a church could be the the people of god to pray for the healing of our nation mm. and the healing of the world around us because it's not just our nation yeah but it's the world around us thank you jeff um like we said in the beginning this has been fun <laughs> well, I, I <laughs> been a, an encouragement <laughs> in my life as well so thank you all guys we'll see you next week <laughs>